This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nelly. Our guest this week is Alan Tiemann, a Nebraska farmer and chairman of the U.S. Grains Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by CHS Inc. CHS Inc. is a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States. CHS is diversified in energy, grains, and foods, and committed to growing their business through domestic and global operations. Nebraska's Alan Tiemann joins us next here on Open Mic. What does it mean to be relevant in today's global agriculture marketplace? To CHS, it means having the people and facilities in place to deliver U.S. grain to a feedlot in South Korea or investing in energy production and distribution to help ensure dependable fuel supplies for our local communities. In fact, we've invested more than $1.4 billion on our owner's behalf to make sure we stay relevant now and end of the future. To learn more, visit chsinc.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Nebraska's Alan Tiemann was recently elected chairman of the U.S. Grains Council. He farms with his son and his father on their land just west of Lincoln. Tiemann has served as a volunteer leader toward the Grains Council mission of market development for almost 20 years. He says producers get a lot for their market development dollar. Here in Nebraska, uh, our checkoff is a half a cent per bushel, um, you know, really minimal investment to, to do all that we do. You know, here in Nebraska, we, you know, market development, research, uh, promotion, uh, and not only just for corn, uh, you know, we, we work with our customers. We work for the ethanol industry. We work for the beef and pork industry uh, to try and develop markets. And we do research on distillers grains at the University of Nebraska to, to help out the livestock feeders and the ethanol at the same time. So uh, we really, really work hard uh, to build our own markets on very limited resources. How do you see the farmer role in market market development and maintaining markets? How do you see that changing, or do you see a change? You know, it, we need to have a global presence. You know, a lot of a lot of farmers don't take an active role in what we do, but uh, that doesn't mean they don't care. We're working on their behalf to do that. I think. We need to continue to develop these markets. Uh, markets are constantly shifting. You know, not so long ago, uh, we were a major exporter to the EU. That's no longer there, but China has opened up the market somewhat. We're working there at Caribbean Basin. We're opening up markets there. You know, it may shift from one part of the world to another, but we're always, always trying to develop and maintain uh, markets. What does it mean to a foreign customer when they know they're talking to a U.S. farmer? You know, that, that's one of the great things about the Grains Council. We've developed these relationships with our customers. We travel abroad. We've got 10 offices around the world. Um, hey, I've got a trade team from Taiwan coming to my farm, and, and I'm sure that uh, as I look at the list of those that are coming, that they've been here before, I've had the opportunity to be in Taiwan twice. You develop a relationship with your customers. It's really beneficial to both sides to know who you're working with. You know, when it comes to issues of grain quality, what we're doing here in the States as far as using technology and, and the hybrids we plant and why we plant what we do and, and that we feel strongly that uh, what we do is safe when it comes to genetically modified crops. We've built these relationships over years and time that 
a really important to agriculture. What obstacles have you seen from and what do you expect in the future of our customers accepting the technologies that you and other farmers are using? It's, it's really a struggle. We need synchronous approval around the world or at least a low-level presence. Uh, you know, when we have new new products coming out uh, here in the U.S., so we've gone through the scientific process. We've approved. We, we believe uh, through all the, the science that we've done that, that they're safe. And then we get done with them here as far as the scientific review, and then we have to wait years for them to be approved in a foreign market. Synchronous approval would be the best situation, but a low-level presence policy that allowed, would allow us to ship overseas to, to countries. And let's say, let's say we had a, a slip-up and, and a semi-load of unapproved got into, a, into an elevator. So maybe, maybe 1% or 2% of a, of a ship has an unapproved trade in it. A low-level presence policy would save everyone a lot of headaches in that regard. It seems with the Grains Council, you've had some real success in exporting grain sorghum, and it looks like dried distilled grains have also been bright points for you over the past several months. That's exactly right. Uh, as far as grain sorghum goes, China uh, really stepped up in the grain sorghum arena this past couple of years. They've been the major market for U.S. grain sorghum. I think it's actually uh, caused some expansion of acres in some areas because prices jumped. Uh, basis are better than, than they are for, for corn in some areas. They've expanded some sorghum acres. Uh, we hope to see that continue. That would be great. Uh, the distiller's grains, uh, it's not been that many years. I'm guessing less than 10 years that we've been uh, really promoting distiller's grains, and it has just gone gangbusters around the world. Customers around the world absolutely love the product. The ethanol industry has figured out how to manage and dry so it's storable, so it's shippable. It, it's really just taken off great. I know there was a period of time that we were short on supply of corn and prices were high. It, it did affect our ability to sell. Now that those markets are coming back in line, did, did we see a loss of export business, and are we able to regain that, some share of that now as prices have come back more in line? In certain regions we've had, uh, we've uh, increased market share in some regions, especially where we've got the free trade agreements. Um, we, had, we had some quality issues when, when we had a short crop, and uh, we've overcome those now. We've got good quality grain in the pipeline right now. Um, it's a competitive market, though. I mean, there are other exporters around the world. We're not alone. We have to, we have to compete against Brazil and Argentina and uh, the Black Sea region in the U.K. Uh, all come into play around the world. So, you know, it's, it's a price market also. We have, to, we have to be competitive. Much has been given and discussion of this Trans-Pacific Partnership, and we understand the negotiations are not complete as yet, although our parties are still talking. How important is a TPP deal to the mission of the Grains Council and success of U.S. agriculture? It's extremely important. Uh, agriculture is going to rely on, on free trade agreements like this. When there are so many other countries around the world uh, making bilateral agreements, and we're, we're left out in those, we can get tariffs reduced to a lot of our major exporting nations, uh, countries, and uh, it's, it's just going to be 
something that, that we're really working hard on. Not not from the U.S. Grains Council side that we can't we can't lobby, but uh, you know all our cooperating organizations like National Corn Growers and and the such uh, are working hard uh, lobbying and working with trade representatives to to get that done. What immediate successes do you think we would find with a completed TPP deal? Well, I think we're going to see reductions in tariffs and the ability to, to move grain a lot more freely. Um, that's that's the big one because uh, there, there are tariff rates out there now that make it prohibitive to move into some of these markets, and it will just open them up for us. So let's turn to the other side. What happens if the TPP were to fail or that it's delayed for another year or beyond until after the election? Would you see implications from that and in, in, uh, in the U.S. export uh, outlook? I would just say that it would it would make our job that much tougher. Uh, like I said, when we're competing with uh, with other places that have bilateral agreements, uh, it's going to just make it that much tougher for us to have access to those markets. But we've been part of the WTO for a long time, and, and uh, that that's an ongoing process continually. Uh, it may not wrap up right away, and we'll keep working. We'll keep pushing forward on on getting access where we can. One of the advantages to the TPP is having access to 40% of the globe's gross domestic product. But it would also seem to be one of the brighter spots still would be the growth of the middle class, especially among some of the participating countries. There's more potential on the frontier. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's that's one of the things where the programs that we run through the Grains Council is the improving lives part of our mission statement. And as we can raise those uh, lower class up to middle class, their consumption rate goes up. They eat more meat. They eat, they need more protein, and uh, therefore the the feed needs go up. And so it, it's a it's not a not a simple process. It's not a, a near term process. But we've been at it for 55 years to the U.S. Grains Council, and it's a process that works. It seems that some of your success has not just been showing up on the customer's border to shake their hand and sell them a product, but you actually go into those markets and help to develop that market, showing them how using higher quality U.S. corn and sorghum and barley and dried distilled grains can can make a difference in their lives. Oh, yeah. That's the boots on the ground. That's what we do. You know, we've, we've gone into countries. Uh, we've set up... Uh, poultry growers associations and, and uh, help develop feedlots in Morocco. Uh, we're, we're working on uh, developing a poultry growers association in Tanzania, Africa right now. Those type of things really pay off in the long run with customers who we've developed relationships with. We've helped them develop their business and now they're buyers. When we think about exports, are there particular areas of the world or particular countries the Grains Council now is really starting to focus and hone in on as ripe opportunities for U.S. agriculture? The Caribbean Basin, we just had the opportunity to to go down to Cuba and look at the opportunities there. As the announcement came out that we're going to work toward normalizing trade, we'd love to have the opportunity to be there with Cuba 90 miles off our coast. We said that uh, Cuba could be the 12th largest market for U.S. corn if we were to have that entire market. But that's a ways off, but it's something we're going to start developing and, and continue to work for. Um, 
around the world. Uh, the new markets we're looking at uh, may be in ethanol. It may not even be a feed grain, but uh, uh, we may be looking at uh, Mexico, Japan, the Philippines, China, India uh, for ethanol exports. This is a new frontier for the Grains Council in discussing export opportunities for ethanol. Do you see ripe opportunities and, and of larger volumes? Yeah, I think this last year we exported somewhere around 900 million gallon of ethanol. At our recent uh, delegates meeting, uh, it was discussed that there's potential to, to double or even triple that in the short term, you know, meaning within the next two to three years. I think that uh, the potential is great out there as we look to the health benefits of using ethanol, the clean air aspects, and some of these countries are still using MTBE as uh, oxygenate. We know here in the U.S. that, that that's not good. That, that finds its way to the groundwater. Not a, not a healthy thing to use. We need to work with governments and uh, get them to change their standards. And once they do, Ethanol will be the, the, the oxygenate of choice. And countries like China, you've often maybe heard of how bad the smog is in Beijing and, and they don't see the sky and people wear masks in the street. Well, ethanol is a clean-burning fuel that, that could really benefit a major city like that. If ethanol exports continue to grow, do you see that changing or adding on to the membership of the Grains Council and and can that be a tide that helps to raise all the boats? Yeah, we do. I, you know, we're, we're hopeful that you know all ethanol companies, uh, plants around the U.S. as as we begin to, this process of expanding ethanol exports, that we really start to have them see the value and become a member. We have several ethanol plants that are currently members of the U.S. Grains Council. We hope to hope to increase that. You mentioned Cuba. You've had a chance to visit that country. What opportunities do you immediately see for U.S. agriculture if the door were open? It, it would be a huge opportunity. The dairy industry and the poultry industry there could really benefit from access to quality feed. They have to import everything there. I mean, sugar, rice uh, is are their two major commodities on the island, but there's great opportunity for us to develop a livestock market there, whether it be poultry or beef or swine. Um, their dairy industry has kind of folded. They really don't have a dairy industry. We, when we were there, we could see the abandoned facilities as we drove. They are making changes in the country. One of the unique things that I saw was in the past three years, they've gone from all state-owned farms to some individual proprietors. Uh, they're allowing some of the people in the country to to manage their own farms. Uh, I mean, they still have to give so much to the state, and but the rest they can market on the free market. They're wanting to give some opportunities to the people and, and allow them to grow. And when you have a dog in the fight, you work a little harder to get better yields, to, to do better with your livestock, and uh, I think that they're going to they're gonna move forward. But there are issues with Cuba, and, and we don't have a credit system with them. Uh, so that, that makes things difficult right now as we move forward and we talk about normalizing relations and opening travel. Uh, credit's going to be uh, key things that we need to focus on.
A strong global economy certainly is uh, an upswing and opportunity for U.S. agriculture. Uh, what do you see and what concerns might you have about those countries of the world and, and include China in that list where there's question now about the strength of their overall economy? Are, are these threats to opportunities for U.S. agriculture? It, it could be, but speculating on a global economy is like speculating on the grain market. Uh, you just never know which way it's going to turn. China, that one, that one's always a big question mark as far as as whether they're in or out of the market, what their domestic supplies are, whether or not they want to be an importer. They really stepped up and, and bought a lot of grain sorghum and kind of backed off on the corn market. They may be loosening up on some of their internal corn, letting some of that flow into the market right now, so that may decrease demand for, for imported corn. It's like I said, it, it's a speculative thing. What about the value of the U.S. dollar in relationship to other countries? We've seen a time that a weak dollar was a real benefit for export sales, and now it's not. Right. It's just, again, it's a competitive market, and a lot of buyers are just buying on price. So the U.S. has a strong dollar, or, or how we compare around the world really plays into it. I was in Colombia last year, and we really had a market increase in Colombia because of the free trade agreement. But they very bluntly said, we buy on price. And, you know, if if they could get it from Brazil a little cheaper than they could buy it from the U.S., that's where they would go. So the dollar value plays a huge role in the export market. Well, Alan Tiemann, we want to thank you so much for spending time with us here on Open Mic. The program is called Open Mic, and, sir, the program is yours. I guess the first thing I'd like to do is just thank everyone that uh, – given me the opportunity to, to be part of this organization and serve as chairman for a year. For this coming year, my theme is excellence in exports. I think the Grains Council does an excellent job in many areas, and I've highlighted five of them. I think our membership is what makes us excellent, and we have sorghum, corn, barley, and, and all the corn co-products and agribusiness, and a wealth of knowledge amongst all these groups that we utilize around the world. The second star would be the U.S. Grains Council team. We have a fantastic team in Washington, D.C. and our 10 offices around the world that really have a passion for agriculture and work hard for us. And the third star is relationships. We have developed relationships with countries, with people, with individuals that are really special that make trade work. And we collaborate uh, with other organizations. That's the fourth point. We work with national corn growers. We actually share office space in Washington, D.C. You just turn left and go to the corn growers and turn right and go to the U.S. Grains Council. We work with other exporting commodity groups like USEC and USMEF. And especially a big thank to USDA FAS for all that they do for us. And dedication. That's the last one. The U.S. Grains Council has been at this for 55 years, and we're really proud of what we do. We're dedicated to export markets, and we really work hard at it. With that, I would just say thanks again for everyone that supported me in this role, and I look forward to working for the U.S. Grains Council as chairman for the next year. Our thanks to Alan Tiemann, a Nebraska farmer and chairman of the U.S. Grains Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. 
AgriPulse Open Bike is brought to you by CHS Inc., a leading global agribusiness owned by farmers, ranchers, and cooperatives across the United States, diversified in energy, grains, and foods, and committed to growing their business through domestic and global operations. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelly.